podcast i threw an extra word in there yes mix it up back changes from the up. future obviously because we're time travelers obviously out of the tardis park obviously to, to whom was this obvious to me obviously obviously <laughs> if you're drinking enough caffeine you can see through time that's true actually then, yeah, i've done it before. it's proven that's true it yeah. is a proven fact proven by the person who who presumably did it yes. saw it witnessed it thought it it's like an experiment <laughs> um i'm matt i'm john i'm steve and I just want to also take a moment to thank Circadian Clock for being our guest last week, a post-podcast. Thank you. Um, it was a pleasure to have you guys on, and thank you for drinking all my booze. And they were off their... Oh, well, forget it. Okay. There is a unspoken promise that we're going to get the album early. You want it recorded. I, I, well, I want it before everyone No, but I mean else. you want the promise recorded. And it was, wasn't it? I think it was. Uh, on air, off air, there was, a, there was a gentleman's agreement. Just con- confirming that this podcast is an excuse for perks. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. I, I um, like perks. I yeah, also I want to, at the beginning of the podcast, to uh, mention, because we I think we mentioned this month's guest, and if not, well, surprise, it was going to be Nelson Lugo. Now it's not going to be Nelson Lugo. Um, due to a conflict in scheduling, he's not going to be able to join us this month. But we are going to try and get him on in the new year um, because he's one of my favorite people to bring on the show because he's Nelson Lugo. Yeah, isn't he like a like a, a tertiary uh, guest person at the he'd moment? He'd be the third. It'd well, not be tertiary, third. whatever the fourth thing is. It would be his th- fourth, court, 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 no, third court, time on the he, podcast. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying he oh, is he'd be the auxiliary. fourth member. Yeah, yes. auxiliary. There we go. Unofficial auxiliary. fourth member of the podcast. Yeah, once you get yeah. past secondary, I mean, they're just auxiliary parts. <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna look them up and, and actually use them at a later date. Quintessionary. I don't know. At the, at the quartential date, yes. But yeah, so he won't be able to join us, but when we can figure out when we can bring him back, we will. Um, the confirmed guest for January and the new year is Kita St. Cyr, the return. So uh, we're excited to have her on. Um, I guess that's really all for me. I don't really have anything, any other big news to promote. So Steve, why don't you start telling us about why we're here? Yes, today is my day, my pick, my pick of the week. This album is called Seeds by the Williamsburg art rock darlings of the mid-2000s TV on the radio. Have you heard of them? Well, now you have. You probably have. Anyway, this album specifically has been a long time coming because back in the infancy of this podcast when we were still finding our footing and unwittingly using the podcast as more of a mouthpiece for touting our own personal library's top favorites, only then to grapple with the inevitable dead ends that we encounter when the other two of us fail to find the same appeal, well, you can rest assured that back in the day, if TV and the Radio had released an album at that time, I would have made a point to include it in the mix amidst Interpol, Menomina, As Tall as Lions, and all my old nostalgia bands, because we all have them. But thankfully, we've grown out of that stage and have spent the last two years refining our objectivity and narrowing our analyses before this release finally came along, because I'll be sorely needing it for today's discussion considering my history with the band. Now, I can, I think, best explain this by reflecting John's sentiments back in episode 116's Weezer discussion in that I have known TV on the radio for, I'll just go ahead and quote you, nearly as long as they've been a band. 
Granted, I didn't know them as early as their demo compilation, OK Calculator, title spoofed off the famed Radiohead album, but I came in shortly after their acclaimed Young Liars EP, and just in time for their debut full-length Desperate Youths, Bloodthirsty Babes, or Desperate Utes, if you prefer the Joe Pesci approach. <laughs> the band uh, itself was formed by synthesizerer David Siddick and singer-songwriter Tunde Arabimpe. Then it really blossomed, I think, with the, with the addition of Kip Malone's chilling falsetto uh, drummer Jaleel Bunton and the late, great Gerard Smith, their bassist who unfortunately passed away back in 2011 from lung cancer, right after the release of their previous album, Nine Types of Light. Uh, beyond that, I think that they're they're periodically joined by a whole harem of musicians that have openly admitted. I mean, TV on the radio itself has openly admitted they love doing their work. They love doing their their job because it basically gives them an excuse to hang out with their friends because they can just call up and say, "Hey, you want to join up as a, as a as a guest feature on the next album?" And there's a whole slew of people who've come to do that, including saxophone players. It, it was a it's a pretty fantastic lineup when they really go balls to the wall with it. But dipping back, I want to go back to uh, Desperate Youths for a moment, because that was one of the first albums that I really grew to love on a full album scale, which is extremely important for what we do here. TV on the radio entered the stage even as early as Young Liars with styles that were not on the market at the time, and styles that were slow. They featured a slow, sort of plaintive acapella muddled by synth work that was defined by these decaying urban motifs. And often in that album, I felt like things were just falling away from me. This dark and fascinating platform to, from which to launch an album. And to boot, those saxophones and the flutes and these whole woodwind effects just seemed to ground that album as, as a marvelously new genre for me. From there on, their ensuing work was quite a bit more uplifting. Um, I don't know why I say that depressingly, but maybe that just speaks to my personality here. Granted, they could be politically dark, that's one thing, but the music itself really seemed to liven up, uh, sort of like it was trying to reach out for this stage-friendly nature. I, I can't really infer why they did it, they just clearly did it. Um, and each and every album just seemed to get more and more positive in a sense. So that's sort of my disclaimer here, is that even though during that period I do think that TV on the radio definitely grew as a band, uh, and they stayed wholly unique on each and every album, while also offering up a bit more accessibility. I, I just, I do think that they lost something along the line. Maybe it was pacing, maybe it was tone, but they're, they're not a band that's happy with branding. Each album is a brand new project for them, and they're one of those bands that never want to repeat themselves in any form. So, you can't keep them down. From there, we go to their newest work, Seeds. The first track is called Quartz. Um, and it starts with um, actually a very unique intro to what we've heard recently, just chanting and clapping, um, no instrumentation initially, which I thought was a unique way to start the record because I didn't quite know what to expect. I'm not as familiar with TV on the radio. Um, well, they begin with some trademark things of theirs. I mean, yeah. they have very open intervals, like fifths, things like that. Of course, there's the, the clapping just for that little dose of rawness amidst all this, this synthesizer stuff. Um, a very clean bass, that's typical of them, yep. and almost a nearly ambient framework, uh, aided by the falsetto, too. It's, it's just used as, as an instrumental effect at this point. They sort of take the major third and give us this, this pleasant G major exposition that just stays throughout. But it stays a little bit too long. The introduction yeah. does does wear upon you because it, there, it takes a while for the engine to really start revving on this song. It's, uh, it's very kind of blah in its intro. Just the beginning is kind of mellow, um, and it doesn't really build to anything. It just kind of cruises. It's, um, 
I mean, the thing is, if there's anything that carries it, I'm sure it's 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 Tunde's vocals himself. His his tenor, for instance, is is something to note right up front here because it's a very unique and immediately identifiable voice. It's it's very casual. It's such as something I've noticed about him. I think the appeal of his tenor is sort of like you just stumbled upon a guy on a street who just broke out into song. And then when he dips down to the baritone, it's a little bit more internalized. So that's a perk here, but that's a perk in almost everything TV on the radio has done. The voice itself is just this this raw, untamed, uh, you know, in the same way do we describe like Damon Auburn, you know, he just has a good vocal quality. It wasn't really a... Uh, it wasn't really a slight just to say that it's good vocal quality. Some, sometimes with music, it's just about the things you're born with. Um, yeah. But in this particular case, it felt like there wasn't as much supporting the voice. It was sort of just on its own train. Well, it's it's the fact that the verse section stays so steady, doesn't really deviate from the introduction in, in any way. Right. And then when it goes into the chorus, the chorus does seem divorced musically when you first hear it but it's almost the same melody throughout mm. it's just played in like a, a different key with a different arrangement of the instruments there's really no difference between the two to my ear it's not almost a different key it's it's really they just cut out the bass and they stay with this 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 chime work just it's sort of higher pitches all around so the bass cuts out and now you're just down to this light drone where you have chimes in the forefront and these little percussion pops you don't have really anything else there which is an interesting choice for a chorus because you'd think it would build to that. You'd think you would, you'd think if you're building to something, you're going to, you know, maybe add a few layers rather than strip it down. That's an artistic choice. There's nothing really, uh, I don't think that's really an indictment. It's just there was no reveal. Well, yeah, the problem with his vocals, which are very catching from the minute he starts to sing, is that he's got this great reaching out, wailing, singing that you'd think be highlighted and or put on a pedestal, either or, but it kind of just steeps in within the sound. It, there's no there's no kind of focus. Well, it's just in, this static sound and then his reaching out vocals, there could which be aren't supported. One reason for that, though. There could be just one reason, and that's uh, the fact that he sort of, in the way I noted that whole like man on the street kind of thing, that you yeah. just stumbled across, he speaks very candidly. It's sort of like he's just against the backdrop, almost kind of like a Walt Whitman kind of deal, like man against the world looks around and chronicles what he sees. So there's relatability there. But in, in, in that case, it's much like sort of a, le a letter he'll never send, and yet... The background noise doesn't support that at all. Like, the thing is, I want to believe that the background noise is there, and that is the backdrop. But the backdrop is, is too indistinct to even be anything. Well, that's just not... the clutter of life, maybe? I, that's, that's not saying it light. doesn't go anywhere. There is a little bit of invigoration in that, that uh, second verse after the first chorus. But it's still... It just becomes another part of the repeti uh, repetitive backdrop. Well, it doesn't really add life. It just adds, well, now there's a street lamp on this corner that he's singing on. Right. It's it's not progressing the story in any way. Um, the, well, because the setting is more backdrop than an actual scene. You're not immersed. You're just kind of staring at it. Yeah, instead of ha actually having props, it's just a painting on a wall that he's standing in front of. The other major issue I have, and it's a very minor point... But it is something that, that leaves me wanting, and that is the chorus structure. The actual composition of the way the chorus is sung. You have four measures, and he only sings during three of them. And he, and he doubles that for, for the chorus. Mm -hmm. But that, third me that uh, fourth measure being blank, being empty, makes it feel 
extremely incomplete. It's not a trail off. It's not a highlighting of anything. Because there's nothing there, there's no even just an exposé with a guitar or just an additional soundbite thrown on top of it. It's just kind of emptiness. It really leaves me wanting something in there, something to flesh it out, to fill it out. I definitely think that's the audible effect that it has, but there's also these, um, I mean, I, I think there's a lyrical thing in here that supports that also along the lines of the uh, of the backdrop that, that you can't really seem to escape. There's definite, there's definite heartbreak in here, but it, it's not, again, it's like I relate it to the letter that he'll never send because you get this, I should really get give it up sometime over and over and over constantly throughout the song that's the chorus i should really give it up sometime should have known couldn't last forever that i that i should really give it up sometime so it's it's i I kind of almost see the transition and how it would be weak and a little bit defeated because on the other hand you have that opening verse which was how much do i love you how hard must we try to set into motion the love divine it's very very optimistic at that point and then it just retreats into this you know, why should I bother kind of thing, almost like an angsty teen. So I feel like there's a reason why it should just fall apart like that, but unfortunately, you know, from a musical standpoint, that's not the greatest defense. I I see it, and I want it to fit in my head, but you're right. There's just, the problem is that throughout this, I'm just a little bit bored. I mean, when you strip all these things away, all you really have is this giant jam in in G major. That's cool, but, you know... Yet he throws so much inflection and, and emotion into the word divine. Oh, the, sure. The times appear, appears in the song, which I believe is twice, uh, once in the beginning, once towards the end, is, I thought they were auto-tuning. I mean, he, his, his ability to change pitch is really astounding. Oh, yeah. I loved it. And that it also was, it helps that it fell in the optimistic part of the, of the track, even though it's all really optimistic, but again, lyrically speaking. But that, that little ability to change on a dime, to not just once or twice, but three, four times saying one word, one syllable, is, is phenomenal. And yet I don't see any of that care thrown into the vocals. Anywhere else the, in the song. Yeah, yeah you're yeah, right. Was, That's like the one really moment. It was really disappointing. It, I mean, it had his reason behind it. You know, a love divine, again, it's the singularly optimistic moment. And it's you're right. He takes that note, and it almost sounds like auto-tune because he, he breaks apart that that single word incrementally without any slides whatsoever. He doesn't miss a breath. It's, 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 it's perfect, essentially. We're talking about one note here, yes, but that's what we do. We'll talk about one note if we have to, because that note was awesome. Unfortunately, I just... That's the pinnacle of the song, the last word of the first verse, which does repeat perhaps one more time. It's a little weak, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Great moment. But um, altogether, the, the, the entire track defines this otherwise very mellow mood. Kind of like there's a coming to terms with a certain falling out or a certain loss, and I think it's probably early enough to say, uh, considering I just mentioned earlier on that their bassist J- J- Gerard Smith died, probably related, or it could be a, a, a different metaphor of loss. But I'm sure that was sort of the the driving um, the driving focus throughout the much of this album. I'm sure it was on their mind since it's their first release without him. Probably, I, and but I think also what you're saying structurally for the entirety of the song is really, is really the problem. Overall, it's just there's not enough support, and it doesn't really go. It it, it has moments, but the moments came early and not enough. True, but you do get that sense of, of 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 denial. I think here at the very very end of the track, you get the the synth that comes in, sort of screeching at the tail end. It's it gets a little bit chaotic 
it's still not really reaching out to me. It's not really trying to uproot anything here. But really at the tail end, especially on that final outro, um, when it was just synth violins and nothing else, this was a nice little moment, a nice moment to, tra to transition, because that added an element of beauty that otherwise felt too dispersed, I think, in the track, too, too everywhere for you to really hone a specific moment. Um, but I think that was a nice, again, that's, that's another one thing, and just a lot like saying divine, oh, that one moment, a nice moment in the track, nice transition. In general, it's just, it's a dispersive track. Otherwise, mellow, great, awesome, on to the next. You know. Yeah, definitely and, not a lot to talk about. And speaking of the next, Careful You is, instead of going an instrumental route, it seems to be a, a very related track to Quartz, but electronically. This yeah. one was a heavy synthesized um, track. I don't believe there was actually any uh, acoustic instrumentation of any sort. Uh, I, I didn't. <laughs> it definitely wasn't forefront in my mind when I heard it. Uh, what we do get is the synth, which sounds very much like an '80s bass. But uh, the pervading rustle that you hear in the background, which is almost just prominent, that's uh, this like a digital white noise effect, or or as if you're like between two radio stations. It's this this consistent distorted effect that just sits throughout almost the whole track. And careful, you seems to be drawing from the same formula of quartz. Uh, you have a very mm -hmm. safe, repetitive introduction that stays throughout the verses. The choruses, once again, kind of lighten up. They draw away from the, the deeper bass-oriented tones and go ethereal again. It's, it's, it's almost the same idea, yet electronically instead of instrumentally implemented. But in this case, I felt that the choruses were sort of pushing the boundaries a little bit more. I mean, granted, I agree. I do think that they picked it up. They... they, they they stepped it forward a little bit more, maybe got it a little bit more lighthearted, but I think they were exploring deeper territory. Because the verses themselves, even though it goes through more chord changes than, than the first track, it, here we sort of start out in, in E-flat major and we kind of fall down incrementally for a bit, but the melody is much tighter. That's already a perk over the first track. So you get these sort of, you know, smoothly just crooning along several chords, and and there's some phrases here that almost sound, and this is a big point for this track, they almost sound Beatles-esque. Now, this is no knock to the Beatles, but that itself, just for the verses, there's no, there's no real, you know, th that's not the deepest thing in the world as far as the second track goes. Great, but it sounds, it sounds light in the grand scheme of things. And that brings me to what you, you mentioned before. The chorus itself is, we were going it, back it's still and forth. pop territory, yeah. But it pushes the boundaries just a little bit more here. I'm not hearing any any relation to a Beatles track anymore. I'm hearing more of their own original melodies. Uh, even though the chord progression itself is almost exactly the same, it's just a little bit. The melody's a little bit more expansive. It pushes that 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 quality of it. Yeah, we we were trying to figure out what Beatles we were drawing from, and everything we were mentioning was earlier '60s work, was first album, second album, so. It's it's a tried and true kind of a formula. Just the inf the inflection was just so reminiscent of things like, "All my loving," I I, I couldn't see it in any other way. Well, but, I mean, but I think also the reason you couldn't really see it in any other way was because there wasn't much else to the song. That yeah, was the most was no... noticeable moment. It didn't really go anywhere, and the one moment when it does go anywhere towards the end doesn't go anywhere. Right. The the fact that there's really just no. No real instrumentation I'm, I'm latching on to. No real emotional uh, pieces I'm latching on to. Not much lyrically. 
and so few changes in the instruments. These two tracks are just way too safe for me to get into this album. They're safe yet. and static, yeah. I mean, I think that lyrically, I think it's doing a decent thing. It's exploring the story a little bit further. Uh, the here, main yes. part, the main part, no. Here, yes. Yes, here, yes. I mean, if you look at the chorus specifically. Just, do, just at the same time further. that I mentioned that the melody was getting a little bit more expansive, uh, almost freestyle is sort of what I mean by expansive, because that's also another perk of, of TV and the radio, is Tunde Adabimpe tends to go through these crazy spells of, of melodies that almost seem improvised as they go along, where he tries to cram a lot into, in, into a short span of time. Uh, that's, I think, always been one of their, one of their uh, strong suits. But if you look at the lyrics, it kind of complements it as well. So the chorus... Don't know how I feel, what's the deal? Is it real? When's it gonna go down? Can we talk? Can we not? Well, I'm here. Won't you tell me right now? And I'll care for you. Oh, careful, you. See a little play on words there? Um, don't know, should we stay? Should we go? Should we back it up and turn it around? Take the good with the bad? Still believe we can make it somehow? I will care for you. Oh, careful, you. Careful, you. It, it, It's clever wordplay. It's very clever writing. And at the same time, there's this push and pull, this tug of war between how he wants to express his emotions. Again, I go back to the letter never sent kind of thing. And uh, if if you think about the probably obvious subject matter here, as we mentioned, it's, it's, it's almost a little heartbreaking. It's just funny that that clashes against a pop structure that is so lighthearted itself. And I mean, just the music. Well, also, we've talked about this before. When you have lyrics that you can't get the impact of until you read them, that's functionally a problem well it was more of like um it was more like a step process yeah, like yeah. i hear the the interesting portion of the melody but i didn't really have that drive to read or understand the lyrics at that particular moment i do think i mean i'm a little bit less harsh than that you in that department only because i think you know very often we just get caught by the melody so easily before before anything else takes shape that sometimes the lyrics are in the back burner and i think a lot of people listen to music that way but you're right it is a little bit more of a you gotta know about the story kind of thing. Yeah, well, because there's not much else to get out of this track except the story. So digging for it, you at least get a little more meaning to it. But beyond that, there's not that much. My favorite part was the end, though. I mean, as is usual, my experience with TV on the radio, for instance, I didn't mention that about uh, about Desperate Youths, that, that debut album of theirs. One of my favorite parts is not just the tail end of that album, but the tail ends of those tail end tracks of that album. They have this sense where they can just sort of jam out for very long periods of time. Now, this is, is only a fraction of that strata, but it's it's, you know... It seems like this was going to jump off. I think you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. It seems like it was going to jump off to another point because it was this very slightly more solemn segment of music. But it did, we, from there, we go off to Could You, which is the farthest thing from solemn. Yeah, so Could You, my biggest issue was it was on a different record, or it should have been. It was in a different decade. Yeah, so this is, it immediately reminded me of the Young Vange, which we've reviewed on the show, because they also were a modern band who did a throwback 60s sound, and that's exactly what this is. It's throwback rock and roll, it's to a T the pop throwback rock and roll structure, there are no deviations from it, there's nothing new. So much so that they bring horns in fairly early in this track, and you initially don't even notice it disappears into the whitewash of this sound. Well, I'm going to hold off on that just because I want to say something about about 
the the riff that they start off with before okay. we even get to the horns because that was an interesting choice um you wouldn't probably hear that in early 60s music but it, just from just the beginning this really could have just fallen right into that it was interesting that i mentioned the beatles earlier and that was only in terms of a melodic line a single line that's like okay i think i might know the beatles track where that melody was taken from that single phrase and that was in the previous track and now here the rest of the instruments are filling out that that Beatles quality. It's 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 in the guitar quality. The guitar is very bright. It's very um, it's very how to put it. Almost somewhere between early Beatles and and uh, and the Beach Boys kind of thing. It's 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 lighthearted and it, it it takes this one riff, this incessant riff of a line that starts in G. Uh, that's your one, and we walk down from the three down to the seven. Not a sharp seven, though, as would be major, so that since it's just a seven, that's a little bit of a Mixolydian move, and that's just a hair from major anyway. And then after that, we walk down from the two to the six, and then we return to one. It's that simple line over and over and over and over again. But quite frankly, I wasn't feeling that seven. Like, I just wasn't feeling this 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 flatted 7 that is flatted from major to your plain old 7. I felt it was sloppy. I felt like this wasn't the, the place to just, like, cram in Mixolydian here. I guess it, it kind of throws everything off just a little bit. It seemed a little bit immature. Maybe that goes again with the early 60s carefree nature. But... Okay. This is what I meant by my by that transition point, you know, when going from something that that, that the tail end of the last track that seemed like it was going to go in a dark direction, and now all of a sudden we're just sitting on a beach, seemingly. Well, there's also the the almost call and response nature of the lyrical work. There's there's a kind of a a pickup in the background, singing along, singing something completely else, more like just your friend jeering as you're trying to get something out. <laughs> exactly. But it's given almost the same sort of credibility as the main protagonist of this story that's being told. That plus a content of lyrics that really, they even lack the death of a carefully used chorus. There's there's really nothing here that's being that I'm, that I'm drawing in. It's it's more like a repetition of a lot of those old school love songs from the same era. Chorus of. Could you love somebody? Could you hold another's care above your bright lights? Could you open your heart? Are you too uptight? Could you work to build something besides a wall? Could you love somebody, anyone at all? Where's no, where is it? Where I don't I don't see any real unique feature in these lines. Well, and also, it's it's yeah. very just kind of the played out. I love you, love me back, kind of an idea. I'm, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I can't be that harsh with the lyrics. I think the lyrics are pushing it a little bit further, perhaps than the last track. Um, and even actually, the last track was already kind of on a. I feel like the lyrics themselves are a step ahead of the music always. I think that's that's something you could probably apply to most of this album. Well, you could talk about the horns in this case, and honestly, the only word I want to use to describe them is hokey. Just just purely thrown in there to add a layer of texture and it's texture I really didn't enjoy. It, I agree 100%. No, I, I, was, I was waiting, I was holding off on the horns, but I do got to say, I think hokey is, is, is the word that I didn't find for it and I, I believe it because they step forward with this rhythm that it's not like you're going to get a jam here. That They don't fill out a jam. They fill out this simple rhythmic accent on that, the, the, the four and and then also the one and and it falls there over and over and over again for measures and measures and measures in a row. There's very little else going along to really boost that rhythmic choice. It, you, it's like you got a horn section. When I think back to what you know they used to do with, excuse me, not horn section, but saxophone section. When I think to, to what they used to do with that, it, it it's it's just kind of painful to listen to this. It is hokey, and it's it's 
a drag. Well, the problem is, I think, also why it comes across so hokey is because you've got horn saxophone that sound like it wouldn't be out of place in a ska song, but this isn't a ska song. That's right. So the mix matching two different positive... But it it doesn't work. It's just mixing ska with the 60s sound can work, but because the horns were also... I mean, the saxophone was so kind of plain and non-flourishy... No punctuation. No punctuation. It didn't and go it's anywhere. a saxophone. If you can do a saxophone without punctuation, that is the opposite of what makes a saxophone so very, very beautiful of an instrument. Well, don't worry, bro. There's millions of ways to do this. Of course, they could have gone the opposite way, too, and used the saxophone in, in a very, very raw sense, where it sounds sort of barren and, and like, you know, like lapping against something. That's a common way to play to play woodwinds. Is when you can almost really feel like the uh, the work that goes into each and every each and every breath on top of the reed. And it, it sounds sloppy, but it sounds raw at the same time. That's another way to go with it. But because they kind of just threw it in the middle there, it just sounds like an instrument. Almost our our go back to courtesy instrument for the sake of, of filling a void. And that's what these these segments seemed like. They're just, just a void. they're kind of killing whatever credibility or substance the song has. It, it removes the sincerity of what they're trying to come across with that 60s sound and kind of just ruins the whole jumble. It's, it, it's a loss of character in those instruments that I think actually removes a lot of the character they were going for in the song. Not even the guy wasn't really on top of the character from the beginning to start with. That, that again, that riff is, is really just war on oh, me. I'm talking by from the a end. lyrical point of view. Yeah, From okay, you're right. From the lyric point of view, I'm completely on board. That might be, I think you know what? That might be my complaint about it. That might be my complaint about it. The lyrics become so unimpactful that I, I think I'm kind of just going to be hating on them. Nah, the lyrics, see, I disagree with you just on the lyrics. When you're looking at certain, at certain uh, stanzas here, lover won't be undone, sleep in their arms, living the poem, living the poem, and it won't be too long, all pills are gone, write a new song, write a new song, you can feel it, come on, breaking the bones, suck marrow down, suck marrow down, it's a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, there's something in this, I feel the struggle of, and we already addressed this as early as the first track, there's a denial here. There's a denial present, and I feel like he's, he's coming to terms with it in the lyrics. Right now, this holds up as poetry alone. Because yeah. the music... Simply, I, I can't get on board with... I, I haven't found a reason for it yet, except, except the most obvious way to, to execute denial, and that is, um, you know, we say, say, for instance, going to a party that you're just not into. You yeah. hear the music, but you are screaming on the inside. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the closest thing I can come to as far as execution, as far as choice in, in their music. The... Though from here we do go to a song that I think we all agree is somewhere we wanted to go, that we didn't know we wanted to go. Well, it supports the theme I just mentioned. Yes. This song is called Happy Idiot. And the song lives up to the title and character for sure. It's, it starts with a very good, solid groove that builds in seconds. Um, this, one, this one was a little reminiscent of the 80s. Uh, and that, more than anything else, I think hooked me as far as groove-wise, as far as instrumentation. Because it felt a lot more energized than the previous tracks, which gave me something right up front for me to latch on to. Well, let's describe that a little bit. I actually didn't pick up on anything 80s particularly, but let's describe the, what's at play here. You've got these wood blocks, it seems, almost. They're probably not wood blocks, but they sound kind of like it. That's their, their little texture choice. And they're super fast. Along with that, you have a guitar that kind of sounds like grunge guitar a little bit. And the only reason I, I equate it to grunge... Um, is because the the chord progression, there's, there's these parallel fifths 
that have this ugly it's an ugly grunge tactic to move these par parallel fifths up and down around your guitar but that's the whole point of grunge it's supposed to be ugly and that's why it was kind of familiar to me and it worked in that department so i suppose even if we're not in the 80s we're at least in the early 90s um because of the way that that guitar was playing but the melody here i think was more interesting than both the melody felt sort of lost amidst this. Not like it was disconnected, but more like it was emotionally disconnected. And I think that was intentional. Just consider the song title, Happy Idiot. First of all, he's using his baritone here, which is interesting. That's, as I mentioned before, it represents his internalization. It, he seems to use it for this purpose during uh, much of his work. Whenever he dips low, it's, it's a much more personal internalized track. But it's kind of like he's he's lost the support of the track itself. He's lost the support of the music. And we're just implying this internalized disparity of, of the happy idiot, as the title suggests, with his music bounce, um, his voice bouncing off against it. And this is where I can truly say that the vocals are really getting great on this album. Not good, not he's a solid singer, but really great. Because that duality of, of the vocals being somewhat disconnected but in still complimenting the music is also the way the phrasing of the lyrics are, are, are being presented because mm -hmm. it's not just I'm a happy idiot it's I'm gonna bang my head to the wall till I feel nothing at all I'm a happy idiot to keep my mind off you right so it's not I'm a happy idiot is that I want to be this person He's not already just there. He's in denial. This is de definitely a denial song. The complete, the, uh, the utter depth of denial. We've it's, all been building to that. This is the... Ex well, it's almost a cartoonish ignorance in its grandness. You know, yeah. he's celebrating with open arms this ignorance of his. And I think that's what gives it so much character is, like I equated it to a cartoon from my childhood that was just goofy and had a very stupidly character because it, it really kind of feels almost cartoonish in its grandioseness. But there's still that little hint of darkness, of deeper understanding mm -hmm. that's keeping this happy idiot from truly reaching happy. And strangely, I noticed that at the moment where the tenor swoops in uh, to sort of steal away the melody for a phrase. Uh, that was sort of early on in, in, in the verse, or maybe actually, I think that was in the pre-chorus, if you could call it a pre-chorus. Um, uh, it's, it's the one moment where it seems to really depart from, uh, from that baritone and then the tenor just steals it away. And interestingly enough, that seems to ground it a little bit more than the baritone does. It's very, very weird how he, how he uses, um, how he uses range to symbolize how, how grounded in reality you are. And it, and it works really well. It adds so many different levels to this song that we weren't getting anything before it. You know, we were looking and searching for some kind of character to latch onto, and this, this, this song is awash with it. Yeah. He also goes into nice little musical phrases in between verses and choruses. Yeah, there was the an... pauses of the vocals have something there, and they're really playful. They're really fun. You might be thinking of that interlude, that really breathy interlude where everything almost felt like he was losing steam and, and panting, sort of running to catch up with this track because it just trucks along, the happy idiot, you know, just going for the gold. And it, you hear him just not quite being able to make the grade there. That's the, the essence of denial is sometimes you just can't match that optimism that everyone else has around you. You're, you know, what, what, what's going on in your head just can't, can't simply... It, it can't equate. If it can't equate, it can't relate, and if it can't relate, then you might as well just not be there at all. 
you might as well just have a have a moment to yourself. And I feel that moment here. Nevertheless, he's trying. The interlude is is very fleeting, from which we return immediately to the verse. It's uh, it, it was th this is one of on the nose tracks. Yeah. The the theme. You can't miss it in every single part of the track. I'm not saying that, you know, if something is a little bit too elusive, then that makes it a bad track. But on the nose sometimes helps. Sometimes helps, if you, especially if you have a, a, a standard pop framework, then probably being on the nose is definitely going to help your cause because you picked an on the nose framework. So, of course, you, you're probably going to want to make your, make your point clear. Um, without talking down to anybody, the song just succeeds. Yeah. And it's just strong in every sense. And I think that's also what makes it stand out, considering the pre three previous tracks we were given. There's several things, I mean, of course, that, that hold together. That's the, the tambourine, you know, keeps the driving motion alive. We're a little bit frantic. We're in darker territory because of those fifths. And that last third is dominated by, by a somewhat... Um, the last third of the whole track is dominated by a much funkier guitar pattern. Again, that notion that you're just at the party. It's not quite a solo, but the riff itself, it feels very independent and alive, as opposed to sounding like a chore, like previous riffs have, have sounded up to this point in the album. So I think that's the mark of a good riff, and that's the mark of, of a good pop song. On that, we go to Test Pilot. See, and this is a bummer, because Happy Idiot was so strong, I was like, oh, the album's finally picking up. It was taking a while to find its feet, and it was picking up. But no, Test Pilot is immediately completely different. We jump genre, we jump, we jump mood. It's a mellow pop-punk song, textbook late-90s pop-punk song. Uh, not from the, not from the very, very beginning. You have, a, you have this, a distinct disparity here, and let's look at what that is. Melody versus backdrop. In the melody, I'd agree with you. It's like a cutesy pop melody and then the backdrop doesn't suggest that at all the backdrop is is a little bit more barren and it just trudges along the chords are fuller lots of sevenths and they just crash and linger there unwanted uh it, it's dark in its own way i think uh it, it takes it in a different direction that i could overlook the vocals and again it supports the theme but, but for me, it becomes weaker once we get to the chorus, where it has that call-to-arms chorus, which those kind of songs would have, those pop-punk songs. There was a little bit too much earnest positivity in the choruses for me to really be truly on board with this song, because the song itself in its verse work is jaded, is a little bit mean, a little bit angry about stuff, but there's, there's just too much self-fooling going on here that when presented in Happy Idiot I think worked very very well here in Test Pilot it kind of it kind of unravels the song for me well to me that that's 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 the mark again of a pop track I feel like in many cases here you spend the verses exploring your story of course they're going to be jaded because now you're getting the details but now what are you supposed to do cause and effect okay these are your causes they they ruin your life in, in various ways that have been illuminated at depth. Now we go to the chorus. Well, what is the chorus going to say? It's going to continue along the, the, the story? Is it going to, to gloom in, in despair? No, it, it's going to be the moral. So you have your story and then you have your moral. That's a typical pop song framework. I mean, I can't fault it for that. I do think that, yeah, it, it livened itself up. But I, I, th I think the disparity, I can't... 
I can't fault it for that. I, it makes perfect sense. Oh, I, yeah, I agree with Steve because I'm faulting the song for many other reasons instead it's, of that one. All right, well, let's hear them. Well, for one, like I said, this pop punk structure that the melody is kind of hanging out in, this is something that Blink-182 perfected. And while I love them as a band, they are not known for their complex and overthought constructions. Yeah, this is back in Dubweed or Cheshire Cat kind of a territory. This isn't something of, of, of the... 2014 area this is of the the, the 90s and it's just it, my problem is is this band shows what they're really capable of in moments of the first three tracks and for sure in happy idiot and then we get to this song that is fairly textbook in its construction at least in parts that i'm like why would i why would i come to this band for this i could go to so many other bands for this exact sound and that i do kind of agree with you i mean as a whole this song changes things up very very little i mean once it gets that framework down there's no, there's, there's really no change up until the very end, but that's kind of a, it robs me, I suppose, of what I got back as early as, as 2004's Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes, because that was, that was completely fresh. No other band could have made that album, absolutely none. And you're right, that when you hear something from a band that could have been done by anybody, you're robbed of something. It doesn't detract from the music itself, the music itself can still be good, and I do think this is beaten up a couple this track here has beaten a couple of tracks so far on this album but it's just you're not getting that wholly original art form you're getting a rendition of good music you know you might as well not even look at the name of the band at that point yeah that's an, that's unfortunate you want to have identity and i feel like that's important for tv on the radio based on what you've told us and based on what i know of the band myself from the few songs i have heard before today this is just kind of an the antithesis to what they represent well as i said about the end the the very the very tail end here kind of kind of provides that yeah it it it's it gives you a, a hint as to what the song could have been you get this sort of ambi ambient spacey keyboard just kind of dwelling and mulching things over that seems to be the truth Obviously, we have a we have a a dark dark truth behind this this facade that is this album. And I think that's one of the things I I really I really detest about it. It's I mean that's a strong word, but because I know it's intentional. I know they they by this point I think I can say pretty confidently they did this album based on uh, on on clouding up the things that you don't want to think about. Unfortunately, there's so much better musically when they dwell, and sometimes you gotta dwell in order to get through that stage rather than denial. Denial is not the greatest moral in the world, and maybe that's why I'm having problems with this so far. So from there we go on to track six, Love Stained. And this is where we start to get some solid structure again, song-wise. Um, the intro builds to this kind of beautiful, almost ambient aura, which was what the last song was leaving us off with. Mm -hmm. It's a good transition. It, we, it, have, we have pretty depths and a high voice in the beginning, and the 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 levels the just the differences between the bass level of the of the instrumentation and the the just the high pitch that he's hitting in his voice is remarkable that it's working so well because it they're so distant and there's really nothing bridging the two be together that the fact that I'm not annoyed by the difference that I'm enjoying this difference is it just speaks volumes to what they're doing I noticed in that respect uh, the same thing and I, I noticed it in another area too it's kind of like they're they're gradually loosening loosening their grip here especially even from just from the last track to, uh, from the previous and now into this track it's, it's it's looser further it's it's getting a little bit further away from your typical pop framework um 
and uh, you noticed it in terms of range and in terms of pitch. Here, I also noticed that in terms of rhythm. The space, you get, the space between notes are is just much more expertly done. Well, it's slow, first of all. You get a very steady, firm thumping, and that kind of drives your rhythm uh, at the outset. But it's colored. It's it's playfully colored by this, this little synth hi-hat in the background. And then on top of that, when the melody steps in, there's this great rhythmic interplay, this development with the, with the melody against that thump. And because the main rhythm is so slow and so trudging, then the innards of each one of those beats are, are so intricate because it's that's what I meant by loosening their grip. It's a chance for Tunde to do what he does. And he's done it several times in this record, but he hasn't gone balls to the wall with it. Here, he's really going balls to the wall with it. And he, he reacts to those, to those beats and plays... Has some, he has fun with that with the time spent in between. That's one of my favorite things about the band as a whole, and I think this track, uh, as far as tracks in this album are concerned, this track was no exception to it. And, and the chorus perpetuate as well. Well, and, what and I then, like about the chorus is I don't want to brush past it, is that that no. toe-tapping rhythm with the slow beat allowed it to connect to the chorus very well, even though the chorus did jump a bit. Exactly. And it wasn't just a jump in the chorus work. You're talking about just being able to play within the beats, when that chorus changed the music, because it did change, there was building and and just all-around experimentation with that original beat, the vocals, the way they so quickly change pitch and speed between each verse and chorus was phenomenal because it was almost like another person singing here. Kind of. And it was like these halted melodies as the chords change, and it, it, it creates melodies that seem offset from the rhythm half the time. And that's a very smooth effect. It just they, That's why the, the verses carried into the choruses so smoothly, and that's why the whole track is, just seems effortless at this point. It's a, that's a remarkable uh, composition element, I think, that goes to the band. I'm glad I finally saw it here, rather than just sitting in a, in a pop song on, with which any transition would be fairly obvious. And also that transition gives way to an emotional impact that we really haven't gotten. This song is about being love-stained, stained with love, which is such a uh, visceral image. Yep. And and I love that. And and that impact, that transition to the chorus really is like you're being splattered with love. And whatever you take that as, however you take that, you really get a sense of it. And it's this this how powerful love is. You're it's everywhere. It's all over. It's 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 just really <laughs> It's really powerful. Well, since we're being so on the nose even with this, well, let's just... I would even describe the, the chorus as somewhat orgasmic, considering yeah. how, how, how busy it is. It's, it's somewhat of a jam, and this time I do mean a true jam, not that, that faux thing we got with the saxophones earlier. Here, it, this follows upon very typical TV on the radio, and it's something that I felt they always did amazingly. I mean, between the, the drum box, the synth, the, that drone beneath, a very light bass drone, and their vocal harmonies, there's staying power to this. It's generally a, a busy jam, the kind of thing they can do on stage, and wow their audience, but the staying power is there. You don't have to just stay a few measures in this. If you wanted to, you could stay three minutes on this. It would probably still be fun. That's what they're good at doing. Rather than just, you know, I, I've never known them before to just pick a riff and then just, and then just hope that it succeeds. Usually, it's very, very well thought out. And this is kind of that that example. And also, speaking to the structure that you're talking about and that almost orgasmic sound is after we go through this song, the the ending, the outro is just a release. It just really feels release. like a. Ah, afterwards, yep. and it it really does add However to that. However, you effect. take that as well, right? 
And I think that's really great. And so from that moment, I'm like, oh, well, we're getting somewhere now. So right. the next song will surely go somewhere. And Ride in the introduction Track is, seven. Is, is gorgeous. It's a piano intro. And I have exclamation points because it's in position. It's sort of cliche, but it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. We it's, get, it's, they let the notes breathe. There's spaces between them. They're not just playing fast. They're letting it actually form, exist, and breathe. Well, you got to be thinking about the grander metaphor at play here, even coming as early as that transition from the point in which the previous track's chorus just just sort of bellowed out with that muddy sound, the the sort of delirium of of orgasm, followed by the release, followed by the endorphin rush and the euphoria of this opening part of Ride. And, of course, it's filled out sorrowfully in a way, um, but also, you know, there's a little bit of sorrowful, one, there's a sorrowful moment whenever the moment is gone. And that's the brilliance here because of all this is the metaphor. I really believe like closely, met, uh, a very close metaphor to Gerard Smith's death. And that's a scary metaphor that he, you would describe his life, celebrate his life as some kind of orgasm, which is suddenly now gone, never yeah, to happen again. Because it also makes it sound so brief, which it seems like it also was. It was. He died at 36, I believe. 36 or 37. And to die of lung cancer from that age is, is, is really sad. Yeah. And, and it, the, the piano doesn't stay on its own for a while. It does then go into exploring some more instrumentation, both with yeah, either a cello or a viola. We're not sure. Or yeah, it's maybe either both. cello, viola. It could very well be the full-on uh, uh, string trio with the, yeah. with the cello, viola, uh, violin. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't pick out each instrument, but it's yeah. at least the cello there. On top of that, we got the xylophone. Which just, added a nice ringing, mm-hmm. almost echoing with everything else. Like the... the uh, the, the bell that, that tolls that tolls that the life is gone uh, this is it's, it's really tough to even describe this it actually brought up a, a band that I um that I also uh, quite quite enjoyed almost around the same exact time as, as, as TV and the Raiders first album that was uh, Rachel's and their project uh, music for Egon Chiel which was an album from 1996 and it, they they followed upon these impressionist sounds kind of following in the vein of like Debussy and and, and, and Ravel and they're very solemn turn of the century you know using these same instruments so of course that's probably why it came to mind but even just the pacing of it it, it, it gets it gets you to the same place essentially so uh, i was kind of happy if also sad to be brought back to that um it also enables them to get away with the repetition of it because yeah. because something is so slow and contemplative the mulling you you want to portray that somehow so there is a a uh, a motif that all the instruments will will come together on and then repeat over and over again and then we are followed by so how do you want to describe it so I, wait, I, wait, no wait, i have no 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 me me i be quiet i be quiet i'm going to use this word a delusion this is one of the biggest blunders i've gone across in i don't know how long because the song that follows the introduction has no bearing on the introduction at all. You need to look, first of all, I'm just going to describe the music. No, I can't describe the music. I'm going straight to the lyrics out of here. Caught up in the feeling, cut right through the ceiling, ground below receding, blink of an eye, higher than high, father, sister, brothers, others others born of mothers, every friend and lover, now is the time, get on the ride, caught up in the feeling, up against the feeling, caught up in the feeling, now is the time I'm going to ride. Um, 
That was verse one. Well, and it no, is... let's just discuss that though. Specifically, these these lines, which obviously are connected with the theme, but now we have to grapple with the fact that this is accompanied by a section that takes its its best uh, musical borrowings, musical nods from, say, Ring Around the Rosie. <laughs> right. Pocket full of posies, you know, same melodic. I couldn't get that out of my well, head. Well, you were, you were dead on. I mean, I'm sure that I couldn't. I couldn't get it out of my head. And it's structured musically with a predictable arena rock sound with that kind of melody towards something so childish. It supports your theory of denial that's been throughout the record. But the problem is musically, it's completely unengaging and disconcerting when attached to what was so beautiful before it. But I mean, they're talking they're clearly talking about what was robbed here in the first paragraph. It's just why would you choose this as the mall? I wish in some sense they had reached into their into their most uh <laughs> their darkest places, I think, to continue the the first half of Ride and continue that for the duration of the song. I mean, in general, I, I have I have come across, especially as as uh all three of us doing this podcast, we've come across some pretty, some pretty bold decisions, some pretty bold moves in the middle of tracks where they decide to just say, all right, well, here's part B, and we're barely even going to connect them. Very often, though, there are very good reasons, very good reasons for making such a shift. In this case, I, I got to question it. Yeah. I got to question why, if you've already had the denial of the first track, you would just smack back. Granted, life would dictate that that's probably what you're going to have to do anyway. Can't dwell, but what, from what I gather, from what I infer in the music, it seems like it had just happened. If the moment has just happened, and the transition period is upon you, how how quick can you transition? I don't know. I feel like it should have dragged out a little bit more. I wanted Ride to give me that epitaph. I wanted to be on a slow cruise. Yeah. Not a uh, 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 down driving at high speed down a hill. Yeah. It just it, it it kind of ruins itself. It's one of those songs that we bring up where they they they're going somewhere that we expect them to go, and they go somewhere else, and it just kind of kills everything about the track that we were expecting and loved. I have a host of other problems with this song. Oh, go because for it. Because the verses, yes, you 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 read the words, you can see the emotion coming through, but when sung. They're just too gosh darn long. They just drag. I'm waiting for it to end and waiting for it to end. And there's a full half the verse I still have to get through. The choruses, the choruses are where it really goes into the ring around the rosy part. That the, the the almost childish melody that they're trying to infuse into it. The verses, the repetition got to me. At one point, we get think about the future, think about the future, think about the future. I know it's mine, I'm going to ride. And it's at that point that I realized that the verses are just choruses. That the repetition and style that they're presenting does not feel like a story aspect. It feels like that anthemic verse aspect that they have done a little bit of other stuff that you find all over verses themselves. So this didn't become a story. This didn't become the progression of a ride. My mother big issue is that that line, think about the future, is sung exactly the same three times in a row. And nitpicky, I cannot stand that simplistic repetition. Well, but that's just me. That's just me. 
I mean, look, there's certain there's certain defenses that I can come forward, but they're purely from from thematic standpoints. Obviously, if you're repeating something like "think about the future, think about the future, think about the future," well, there's reason behind that. That's the kind of thing that is sort of always on your mind, and no one thinks about it more than at the time of death. So there's reasons for this. Yes, I just it's, but the, it's the musical execution of it. I agree, the musical execution of it. I just don't. There, there's there's nothing. there's nothing even attempting to really draw this this half of this song in uh, to try to draw your audience into it. Yeah. There's nothing to really hook you onto the song. And I'm just kind of shocked that they would, you know, suddenly repel everyone at that moment. Why not bring us in and continue the celebration of life, celebration of death, all that stuff? I feel like just musically this, this accomplishes nothing except perhaps uh, the panic that sets in. The panic that sets in when, when something like that happens, then of course that's going to be something that you can't grapple with, that your friends can't grapple with, that no one can grapple with, and so they sort of decided to to repel in the process. Again, thematically I accept it. I just, I don't know. I don't know. And my biggest problem also at this point is that we went from teetering back and forth on the first half of the album because there were moments since we were kind of walking a tightrope. Now we're just tumbling down a hill towards... I don't know what, but I don't like it. It's interesting because I, I had I had uh, read somewhere that 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 this album was defined more by the denial, uh, coming to terms with the denial in the first half and then accepting it in the second half. Uh, I just don't see that. No, I don't either. Yeah. It's an interesting. But let's let's well, let, let's explore it as we go. So track eight is right now, and oh, man, I don't even have a lot to say. I was just. They're, they're now just jumping into a very predictable structure. There was no standout moments, not even from the vocals in this track. This one I felt was completely almost... checked out on this song. If, by, if by accepting a lot of... I, I don't, I'm, I'm going to stop making any accusations here. I firmly believe that, you know, there was, uh, there was a, a, a due amount of, of, uh, of, of mourning involved in this. But let's just look at the album. The album specifically takes the tone here as if we've gone from... A awake to uh, to an acid trip to a party. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. I really don't. I, it's not, everybody deals differently. What can you say? But let's just look at the song itself. It's a lot more dance oriented. Even even offers some like seventies tones in here. You almost get a little bit of a disco effect. Not all out, but there's some like seventies strings to go in with this uh, with this dance style. The or, bass is or... very strong. Maybe early R and B, right? And yeah, that, that, that that's more like it. And that's that's not what they've been doing on the rest of the album. And it's a little bit, well, not jarring, just I guess disappointing. No, or they've just got... it's 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 that incessant it seems out of place. beat that well, just keeps going on and on and on, which is why stuff like R and B evolved and got more complicated. Well Matt had it right earlier when he mentioned that the that the first half of the album was going a little bit more back and forth. So there are the similarities in that this this the, the, it picks the riff, it states it over and over again, and that's basically what you're dealing with in this track. That was that was there in the first half, but then you did depart at various moments, even within the tracks themselves, you departed. Here you're not really departing that. It's the same exact riff. There's nothing else you can do about it. It 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 could have at least, I think, developed that sort of 
semi-disco R&B dance floor vibe. The only part that I can give this some credit for is, of course, the verses and, and the, the vocals that are as strong as ever. The melodic makeup of the bridge, for instance, was the most interesting part. The melody here, much like, uh, I believe it was track two or three, has some room to expand a little bit. It's not as constrained within somewhat predictable melodies. And again, I've never really known TV on the radio to go back to predictable melodies, but here, because they've chosen such a wide array of pop frameworks in a, such a wide array of genres, uh, well, he's kind of pigeonholing himself with it, except for your obligatory bridge, where he steps away from that a little bit. And yet, I thought that bridge was the chorus. Like, first listen, first rendition. I thought that was the chorus. I mean, there's one we've, way we've to had, infer... Oh, let's, there, we let's we talk actually about... were talking about that pre-show. Like, no, that's the chorus. No, that's the chorus. But that's that's not a very endearing quality There's in no, the song. No, come on. There's no if set I answers couldn't hear, to these things. No, no, no. If, if I couldn't tell where they were trying to be anthem-oriented or explanatory-oriented because the music is so same throughout until we get to this bridge, that's yet they're still choosing a pop framework, that's not, that's, that's not good. That's not good at all. I mean, so what? Full disclosure, there was an uh, A to Z lyrics article that happened to uh, say that the, the chorus was the bridge and the bridge was the chorus, and so what? I disagreed with A to Z. Sometimes it's just written by a dope who happened to, you know, <laughs> who just wants to fill in gaps on the internet, and mostly those people are dopes. I happen to agree with it. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, but these things are very open to interpretation. For instance, I thought pretty straightforwardly that you see right now, have a right now, the moment, these little parentheticals, right now, so don't hold time. That sounds very much like the chorus to me, even just in musical quality, not but just because it says the title of the song. No, 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 but I didn't I didn't notice it breaking away or doing anything. It felt like a, it was just becoming a run-on sentence with the verses. It felt like it was just flowing right on through. Well, if I recall, I think it had the same chord progression. I don't think it pulled away in the slightest. I think it was just a... It, the same exact chord progression that dominated the verse dominated the chorus, in which case the only way you're going to know it is simply by the lyrics themselves, if you're listening and how anthemic supposedly it sounds. Uh, but the bridge was pretty straightforward to me in that it departed from the song, which is what bridges typically do. They give you this secondary section, which, as I said, I noticed the mel melodies were a lot looser, and he crams in a lot more information, falling into the all at once, letting go of the things they taught, had me thinking about the nature of one and imagine an imaginary need for the silly little things. Pass it right now, right now, the right now. Love. So, again, I appreciate when he goes into the candor here. Because there doesn't seem to be candor in his verses, and not even really in his choruses. The bridge is when you get the story. Yeah, but unfortunately, it, because of the backdrop it's across, it's just, it's noticeable. Not noticeable enough. I just feel like it doesn't do it. It doesn't save the song. It doesn't engage me at all, really. I got more out of it from you reading it than I did listening to the song itself. Yeah. And that's problematic. I, yeah. I, mean, I shouldn't be so... No, I think you're, you're dead on. That's the absolute problem. I shouldn't even be so hard, uh, hard against the earlier verses because there's, there's things in there. If you, if you read this, you'll get a pretty good idea as to where he's lying and where, where perhaps the band is lying in their, in their uh, reaction to, to this aftermath here. Um, even just the final verse, there's a golden light that's right here. No bottom to this well. Wealth of loving, wealth of ideas, peace of mind beyond the self. That's a beautiful note to close out on. Uh, so dance? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. It just seems so out of place. And and what and and I didn't think I could be more confused. But then we got Winter, track nine. And that was really confusing because suddenly we were listening to Weezer, and I don't know why. <laughs> or generic 90s punk in general. Right. Not so that that's it's completely a, punk. I, but yeah. I described the whole song as literally a wall of guitar. It's the same repetitive strumming chord the entire song. It does not change. It worse, does not falter. Worse, the wall of distorted guitar. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> and not just wall. you got to remember, it's like a third plus through this the, the, the song that... This, this person who just learned how to play the guitar and he's in his garage, all of a sudden people are showing up with other instruments and they're trying to catch up and yeah, figure out what he's doing. That was, that was really odd when mm. the drums like start coming. It was a solid minute and a half to two minutes with just a strumming repetitive guitar. Yep. I what was it, three, three or four different chords that he's playing continuously and not one. playing a... R- one. <laughs> oh, it was just one chord. It's, 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 it's power... Power chording it, you know, over and over. It's like what I mentioned earlier about those fifths. And I'm not sure if this was fifth, but I'm pretty good. It's just power chords over and over and over and over again. Um, vast periods, vast stretches where that's just the only thing. So it strikes me as almost the most, uh, the the angstiest thing to do possible. That's kind of like, you know, I guess, eighth yeah. grade in your garage. I feel like I feel like to explore this topic further and, and it's, uh, it's, it's merits when you're talking about the really super stripped down garage effect. I would refer anybody back to episode 114 in our discussion of Daryl's Ohio, uh, picked by our um, fan Jose Nocturne. But <laughs> that's the only thing I equate to this, but especially since you're just talking in this case about an al- a, a single track on an album that I want to see based on the progression of the story here and the theme, I want to see as some kind of post-mortem reaction. Maybe I see it. I don't see but it. But it's just it's I, so it's, thin. There are no. There is unless a, it's all the different stages. If regret, but you know. You, no, you know, no. There's a big redeeming quality for this track, and that's the lyrics. The problem is the lyrics get lost. Are completely lost because while you have the power guitar going on, the vocals aren't really conveying what the lyrics are trying to say. They're a little bit and too upbeat, I guess, well, for that punk idea. That seems also to be a common problem in this record. On the tracks that we like the least. We're getting a lot of poetry that's not being conveyed well in the vocal work. And this is some really, really good poetry. I was blinded by sympathy for a minute. I was strung out. Got my eyes wide open now. I can see the storm ahead of me. I say go because I know it's going to clean us. No control. Let the physical redeem us. That's freaking awesome. That's really good. And I, I love that. And that's <laughs> great for a punk song. That's really good for a punk song. <laughs> Yet, he's a little bit too happy-go-lucky about it with that wall of guitar. Beyond that, I don't remember any of those lyrics. That's because it's hard to hear beyond the guitar. And that was the biggest problem, is the guitar just drowns out everything else. It kind of strikes me like there needed to be more of an obligatory... Period between, I guess, the the, the moment and the the acceptance that this latter half of the album is supposed to convey. You know, a grace period. Say, I guess, yeah. Because it strikes me like like it's dived in too soon. The way that quote, and that quote could be completely misconstrued, uh, was um, was taken by, by me was that, all right, well, if you're going into acceptance, then denial's done. We, we, we cleared denial completely, and, and we left it behind on the early stretch of the record. And yet here, I see it poking through in spades. Yeah, you and know? it's almost like they're denying their own sound, too. Yeah, that's, that's an even better observation, actually. They're denying their own sound with this song and the next song almost aggressively because the next song Laser Ray which is one word which whatever I'm not even going to get into that I think it's going to be Lazare 
um, <laughs> is completely and totally another punk song, but this one's a throwback to the Ramones. No, nope, it's not a throwback to the Ramones, because I would have definitely enjoyed it a lot more. Ramones? Ask. The, the character of the Ramones is definitely here in the instrumentation, but... It's not meshing with the vocals once again. Here, I think I think punk is not the right choice for for this idea that they're doing. And for this it's, band, it, why are they? It's trying just to play not punk? the lyrics. It's it. Well, no, strike that. The lyrics could work. It's not the vocals, and the vocals are still good, but they're good on a completely different level from what the instruments are doing. It's only it only is another little notch in my theory that this is uh, this is denial through every type of happy-go-lucky, um, play-your-way-through-it kind of track that has ever existed in all in all walks of life, in all forms of genres. They're dipping into a lot of areas seemingly all disconnected, except perhaps that they have pursued the same themes. Lots of tracks, and you even mentioned this recently, in these genres very much are, are they're, they're, they're so happy on, on the outside and then they're crying on the inside. And very much these are the things that people latch on to. Unfortunately, this is the... This is like a this is like a 101 rendition of it. Yeah, and it just feels like they're trying they're purposely trying to not play their own music, which look, if 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 your denial theme is strong and it is, and they're denying their own sound despite their face because of their bassist and they mm-hmm. want to deny their own sound, theme-wise that's very strong. It's huge. That's freaking amazing. But, but- you still gotta make, make like like really. I have to enjoy the music. <laughs> I can all. I'm not gonna see this, them having this conversation with their new bassist. By like, hey, can you can can you play like him, but then also not like him, and also not like us, but then like us in the end. And like, and this is all speculation. <laughs> challenge. Ultimately, this is all speculation. But the very fact that we're having this discussion though is a positive note. Yeah, but it's the only positive note on this track. It's otherwise forgettable, repetitive punk rock. And that's why it doesn't connect to the Ramones. At least the Ramones were memorable and catchy. So it's approaching that, but it doesn't do anything. There's no there's no standout moments, not even in the chorus. It's just There dull. was one drum interlude. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> not really. That, that's literally that, all I have for this song. I, I um I, I could focus a little bit on I don't want it to I don't want to just like uh brush away these lyrics like they're nothing here. If, there, if there's any other um, if there's any other explanation as to where this, this theme is moving along in terms of lines, I, I, I might pick the chorus itself. <laughs> Allah! <laughs> From the side, it gets hot. That she, could fuse into one, in, that she could fuse us into one. If only we could take the light. Well, I got mine. Yes, I got mine. Four thousand years ago, I came back to my senses, swallowed a laser ray, and blew my mind in all directions. This vertical line, I watch it go by. Chop down your master plan into nanoseconds, man. I hope you understand that nothing living lasts forever. This vertical line, I watch it go by. This is another moment where the lyrics... It's an interesting metaphor. It's a little abstract, but... The lyrics are poetic, but missed. You, you lose them. You don't get any of that in the song. Like, that metaphor was visually pleasing. It was almost like a Dali painting to me. And yeah. I think that's really great. Yeah, but you don't get that from the music. The music doesn't feel like a Dali painting. It feels like a Norman Rockwell painting. Oh, poor Norman. Because I, uh, no. I love those Christmas cards. I really do. <laughs> and if you want to talk paintings, the next track, track 11, Trouble, is a very masterfully painted backdrop. That is just so static and unmoving, it becomes almost a, a bowl of fruit. 
We we so this song takes us back <laughs> we, to the pop shop. Like down to bowl of fruit. This one is is that Dolly bad, so. Rockwell bowl of fruit. All right. So great. we go to the pop structure. It's very soothing. It's it's sweet. It it reminds me of Coldplay's Yellow or anything from around that time in the '90s. A very soothing, sm- smooth song. A guy walking on the beach singing. No, no, don't take my metaphor. If you're gonna do it, do it right. This is the slow stroll along some sort of path, whether the beach, whether a forest. He's wearing a button-up white shirt, white pants, no shoes. It's cloudy. Maybe it's raining a little bit. This is that generic video. I'm done with that. Yeah, I, I was done with that 20 years ago. I think I'm more with, with, with John on this one, yeah, because yeah. Uh, the... Yeah, I can't, I can't hop on board Yellow because I, I didn't think Yellow really fit that vibe. I thought Yellow was, was probably a little bit more emotional than well, this. We've actually. also talked about how I didn't like Yellow where you guys did, so I, uh, the disparity okay. stands. Okay, I can accept that. The disparity does stand. Okay, but either way, yeah, we're continuing it in terms, almost a lot more on the nose this time, and that's why it probably does fit your, your metaphor, John, accurately, because they're flat out saying it this time. Everything's going to be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. Oh, I keep telling myself, don't worry, be happy. You know, almost with the same the same cadence as as uh, as your Bob Marley, don't worry, be happy. Um, oh, I keep telling myself, everything's gonna be okay. Oh, I keep telling myself, don't worry, be happy. It's just over and over and over. Um, Conceptually, de- I love that. I love that idea. Conceptually, yeah. because it's not everything's gonna be okay. It's not don't worry, be happy. It's I keep telling myself. It's more that of a- phrase, that word combination makes it seem like there's depth it's more of a failure also to that to the to the um review i read on on the acceptance at the tail end of this album that's just you 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 cannot you you, you're deluding yourself if you think this song is all purely acceptance that's (laughs) we are not at that fifth stage yet i'm sorry nope we're not and again it's another song that fall that doesn't go anywhere it doesn't really do anything it sits comfortably in this structure that doesn't suit this band and i don't know i just i'm tired of it i'm I'm done like i i get it now i get i get coming to a band and expecting something and then being horribly disappointed and i wasn't only i most of my expectations were just based on steve's excitement i didn't really have any of my own other than the couple of songs i've heard by them no, he was, I remember he was wearing I was... the shirt when he when he announced it he was he was like i'm wearing, i'm these guys he's pointing uh... these guys I, don't get me wrong. I, I, th- I think I think I think they've done great work over the years, and I think as we come to the the last track here, track twelve, seeds. I title mean, track. yes, title track. It's <laughs> supposed to encapsulate this album. I think they are still hitting upon something, but I I think it's just a it's just a shadow of of. I, I feel like they're losing sight of 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 that 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 end of the tunnel. I feel like there's a vision here which is just not quite coming through. Either way, or they're comfortable with where they are, and, and this review means absolutely nothing. But this is just my take on this album, that that when I consider where, where they were 10 years ago uh, and, and, and breaking through music as we know it, I just think there's lots of other bands that are... That are this could be done by someone else. It's not as personal as I want it to be and as I know it should be because that's the place it was coming from. So, so. Seeds as a whole is a poor close, and there are reasons why, many. The first is they take a slow techno intro approach that we've got tastes of, but we haven't really seen enough of on the record, though I suspect it's more their comfortable space. The verses, again, are still very... 
long long and indescript the courses i felt were stronger i'm just kind of giving my overall impressions of the title the course okay the course was really good i do like the inflection put in there Mm -hmm. i like how short and sweet they are how succinct they are but to pair it up with the wall of text they're doing in the verses it it, that's what really hurts it for me it's just they're i think they're trying to cram in a bunch of stuff that should have been throughout the record and instead well this is the title track and the close shit let's get everything else in and I just, I, I think it's rushed. I think it's poorly constructed. I think the bridge was a nice flavor. It was layered well. There was a lot going on. And so it added a little more to it. But I agree with John. The verses, I was waiting for the verses to end. I can't remember the last time I listened to a song and was waiting for the verses to end. Not the repetitive choruses mm. or something like that, but just the verses, the story aspect, the painting aspect. I feel like I encountered that a lot, but it's Yes, me. but it's, 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 it's not... Perspective. It, it doesn't have the same level of quality that actually is here. The verses have great ideas. It's just they're so crammed together that I don't really feel any impact from them. Apart from the overall structure of this track, which is that of a, a very this 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 emptiness. There's definitely an emptiness. You feel the hole that the obvious hole in 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 all of them that that was that cannot be filled ever again. That's that's painful. You feel that in this track, and you feel it more than you felt, I think, on any other track except for perhaps the first half of Ride. Um, it's achieved by the doubling of their vocals, always a winner with TV on the radio. Those a cappella heights that they reach, that it's absolutely great. Um, it, my my problem steps in definitely with those uh, the melodies and the verses. My problem steps in in almost the same way it stepped in in several other tracks in this album so far. I mean, they're repeating the same problem. That, that, that's kind of rare that I encounter that throughout an album. At least it's the same problem as I see it, and that's that these verses seem like they're less sincere. They feel like they are straight up almost lifted from other pop melodies vari- of, again, various, various genres. In this case, a little bit more of a, of a slow croon. Um, but then the bridges step in, and they feel a lot more sincere, it's where it feels like TV and the radio. It's where it feels like, like, like Tunde is 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 at his height and he's exploring the melodies in every other capacity. And this is like the third or fourth time I've said this in this album. It's the same exact pattern. Um, maybe again that that relates to the uh, the the theme of the album as a whole. But you know, as as it's it just that's a that's a problem. You gotta focus on every part of your song. That's just the 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 end of it. I I can't start partitioning here. The second I notice one thing that lags and another thing that's promoted, we have a clear we have a clear problem. Something needed work in the end. Um, beyond that, I think the only other thing I, I like is the instrumental. That that piano in the background and also during the chorus when the piano joins in with those little accents. That was a very sweet moment. That's um again like the first half of Ride. The piano is something I don't even here in TV and the radio at all. That's that's sort of a new instrument in, in them. They typically go more of the keyboard route. I don't hear piano a lot. And that was a, a really nice touch. I think it blended well with their voices. Um, so the last track was not a complete disappointment like some other tracks on this album were. Uh, so, you know, it was a, it was an okay moment to end on. Not not great by any stretch, but it, it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't an abomination. They they concluded the story. I think that it's a poor close for me mostly because we it's a close to an album that we didn't really get. Like we it, it it really seemed like it was trying to speak to an emotional album 
that I, I don't really feel we got here. And to begin my wrap-up, I, I really believe that that emotional album would have been amazing. When you start really dissecting what was being said, and that's always one of my favorite parts, there is a lot of instances of real soul-bearing going on here. There's a lot of great lines. And the vocals, while not meshing up with a lot of the music that's going on here, does a great job of pre uh, presenting those lines. But with only two standout-ish songs, Happy Idiot, which is a song that I hear on the radio from time to time, and I do really enjoy it, and the other song, Love Stained, which hits just all sorts of different levels and has some of the the, the best just composition in the vocal work and the lyrical work and the lyrical speed. That's one thing I don't think I, I, I spoke of, but just the, the speed changes of how he's singing was phenomenal in that song. Those two songs were really great. They weren't five stars, not by any stretch, but they were really great. The rest of this album was was just phoned in. There was areas where I don't know what they're trying to do, if they're experimenting with other genres or just choosing something that that they were just going outside their personalities. I don't feel like I got TV on the radio's personality in this album because it's just so all over the place. Nope. There's so many different ideas being presented here. Just where we can go, oh, was it the 80s? Was it the 60s? Was it the 50s? Was it before? Was it after? Is there jazz? Is there punk? Okay, that's great for an amalgamation album of, a, of, a, of, a, of an idea, but when the only thing that really is connecting the piece together is a theme you're trying to create and that presentation falls short, you don't have a very good album as a whole. You have a lot of very emotional songs when used in the right setting. For that, that plus, I mean, we didn't use the word generic, but the generic is, is a big word that we should have been using today. This is a, it's a 2.75. It's, it's about as enticing as I found so many other like pop albums this year. Uh, particularly stuff like U2 that we reviewed. It's, it is music, but it's just really, it's, it's for the most part below the herd. There's nothing here that I really feel stand out besides the theme they were trying to create. I think you rated Swans higher than that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> well, I think Swans was at least scaring you. <laughs> Swans I guess did that's, something. that's something. Yeah, yeah here something. I had no emotional connection. I had to pick apart the lyrics to really get into it, and musically, I, there was just nothing drawing me in. Yeah. So, there you actually, go. I can actually think back to some Paul Sutter's swans right now. Okay, my turn. Um, <clears throat> since we're talking about past albums, the last time I was confronted with an album where I liked two tracks, maybe three, was Barry Kid Ladies, and I was not kind to them, and I like them. I don't know TV on the radio, so I can only go based on the quality I'm presented with. Um... I'm in the same boat. I really love, I really love Happy Idiot and Love Stained. They're great tracks. They really are great tracks. But that's it. Seeds wasn't awful, and and nothing was bad. Like I mean, I don't know that I feel like there were some songs that were not great, but there was nothing that was so awful that it was not considered considered music. <laughs> 
you know, I, I just, I, there was not a lot of connection. The denial connection that Steve brought up is actually very strong. It has a very strong theme. That's great. I need a musical connection for a theme to invest me emotionally. And there were moments where we got there. The music, it definitely reflected the theme, though. I think that's that's just the... Well, yeah, but I don't think it was... It, but it, 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 it reflected that theme in its inconsistency, which is fine. But still, I'm looking for quality in the music, too. And that's a bummer that we didn't really get much of the quality that I was expecting from a band that I've heard lots of people talk about how great they are. Um, I'm not going to drag this out. There's no reason to. We've talked throughout the episode about exactly why we do and don't like it. There's not much new to add. It's a 2.5 for me. It's got a couple tracks that I like. Great. You know, I, I'll go back and listen to their old stuff. I really want to listen to this album that you were talking about because I am curious. My, I'm curious in the face of disappointment. Forward to you and Spotify. Thanks. On to you, Steve. Uh, I was looking forward to this for so long, as I, as I stated extensively in my in my little opening spiel. Um, the theme is denial. We've said it. It's a solid one. It's a valid one. It's also kind of a weak one because it's just denial. Well, I think we know what this album is about. We might be completely off, but eh, we kind of know what this album is about. It's pretty circulated. Um, I I certainly hope that's right, and we didn't do this uh, unfair justice. And it's a shame, too, because I would hate to disparage an epitaph. I mean, Gerard Butler was an amazing bassist. He really was. Beyond that, he played several other instruments. He was a self-taught musician. Um... I really am going to miss him as, as, as a musician on the grand stage. I'm sure they feel much more strongly about that. That's just unfortunately not in the nature of what we're sitting here to do. We're sitting here to look at the album itself, which reflects in its poetry many elements of how I think of you, you know, in the past and how... It's about letting go, also about not being able to let go. I really do think that lyrically, these things are very strong. And musically, I think that it's connected just by virtue of what life expects you to do. Life expects you to move on and be happy and not dwell. I, I, I've heard this countless different places that we live in a culture. Part of it is American culture, part is Western culture. Maybe just culture, period, expects you to pick up, move on so quickly. We don't take kindly to, to, to looking at pain. That's, um, that's a hard thing to grapple with when pain is the only thing that you can focus on. In that case, we're not a very friendly people, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try not to sit here and be one of those not friendly people myself. I'm going to try to at least sympathize. And I think this album displays that. It, there's another level there, and that's that, that grappling with, with, with life at the same time that you're grappling with death. I think that's an, a much stronger theme than, than you two are both giving it credit for. At that point, my biggest problem is just the music itself. It's not about the theme's it, connection to the music. I think that's just as strong as it was with, with Future Islands, to be honest. And I gave that lots of concessions uh, on, on the music front because that was just flat-out pop. I already have said, though, that based on music, I'm going to be lowering that... Uh, from its immensely high 4.8 down con uh, considerably in my uh, in my wrap up, um, but I do think that an equivalent problem here is going to raise this up a bit above you guys. The problem, no, the problem for me 
is music itself. The music is just not where it was. This would not raise my eyebrow. I remember being blown away by the opening track of their opening LP, Desperate Youth, uh, The Wrong Way, with its distortion, um, with the saxophone, sa it, 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 was, it wasn't even rock. It was just, I can't say art rock at the time, because art rock, I barely even heard the term. It was just art. Here, I, I see what they're doing, but I hate that I have to mention, and John already went through this, I hate that I have to mention 60s stuff and 90s stuff and all the different things that I am comparing to, which I'm sure was intentional on their part. Hey, let's revisit this stuff. But if you listen to our recent podcasts, uh, it's, 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 it's painful as to how often we are confronted with that. And it goes to show almost the same critique that is constantly being stated of movies uh, lately, of TV shows lately, how things are just being redone. And even for theme purposes... I'm just so tired of it. You can accomplish more through pure inborn originality. Try and ignore the world around you and stop making these these references. It just ruins the art. For that, I, I I'm left with a, a weird thing. I've never been uh I've never looked at an album before where I was so positive on theme and so negative on music. I just want to read one thing and then I'll give you my number. So very briefly with this, Adipimbe. Stated in a press release, this is on Wikipedia, everyone can see it. We've been through a lot of stuff in the past few years that could have stopped the band cold, but I'm glad we got it together and took stock of the unique collection, uh, the unique connection that we have between each other as a band, because the record is, this record, is 1,000%, without a doubt, the best thing we've ever done. I'm floored by that. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say to that. It clearly says we have very different, uh, I guess observations as musicians but it's hard for me to to, to to see them saying this except if they're being blindsided by the fact that they wrote a very very personal epitaph and then I jump to a couple of the other things that people had said other than them about the music and they were similarly po positive and by the way it was all music that had said that all music wrote that Seeds has a palpable sense of moving on for TV on the radio I guess moving on uh, emotionally with the band confronting loss directly on the album's first half and accepting it in the second. She found it to be a fine tribute to Smith and the sound of enduring unimaginable loss. That's okay. Well, what would Crash Chord say about this? Me personally, I think, I think they balance each other out perfectly. I think it's just a solid three. It conveyed something very strongly. It conveyed something very poorly. Three, it's an average album you'll find much better in the lyrical front than you will in the musical front. If not, I encourage you to dip back and look at their previous work. I am not soured on the band, but I'm. it's a shame that this had to be the, the, the first um, expose on Crash Chords because I would have gone to town on almost anything else they've ever done. So it's a shame, but it wouldn't be the first time for us. That's true. We often get stuck denying things to ourselves and sometimes our fan base. Um, and on that note. <laughs> we've often gotten albums where we're like, well, it could be terrible, but this, that, and the other thing. And also bands in general. I mean, John and I have talked at length about how we make up excuses for Grain Day, considering the awful trilogy we reviewed, that by the end of it, none of us wanted to do it. Um, for me, I find that I equate it to this. If you're a sports fan out there, you have your favorite team, they could have a record of, one in 12. We're not talking about this right now. We are. Um, <laughs> and you still root for them. 
You make excuses. You know they stink this season, but you still root for them. You make excuses and deny how terrible they are. With the amount, well, of, got- with the amount of Rangers fans I know, it, this is, it's, uh, oh, the pain is evident on their faces, but I don't know. Some logic drives them to, to defend. In a similar I had, fashion. I had hope this past weekend. It was so bad. In a similar fashion, as Steve brought up, people do it with TV shows, too. The most famous case is The Simpsons. <laughs> Simpsons. People, people have made excuses for The Simpsons for years and years and years, but that's also because they've been around for years. People and years fell and years. out in various places. Many fell out after season ten, if not eleven, if not twelve, if not thirteen. But poof, by fifteen, almost everyone was just out. But for many, it's the majority of the series now exists in a time where it's just an average, almost almost unwatchable uh, vomit bag of a, of, a, of a TV show and, and that's so painful on. for something that w- that for many people was the best comedy writing on television as of the 90s as of their seasons uh, one or, or if they didn't think they, they settled in that early for seasons at least two or three through through ten just the best even John Lipton said that James Lipton said it about the Simpsons best comedy writing on television. Now, what is How this? do you grapple with something that's just so separate, except for, of course, the fact that they have di- very different writers now than they did then? Um, and so this, of course, the reason I bring this up is to bring it back to music. Um, as I mentioned Green Day earlier, also long... To which the same applies. Yeah. Right. Long-running fans of a band will make up excuses. My biggest one that I made up excuses for for a while um, is a band called Megadeth. Megadeth has always been called the bastard off child of Metallica because Dave Mustaine started in Metallica and then when he was thrown out, formed Megadeth. Megadeth was a powerful force in metal music. They still are. Dave Mustaine's still playing against his doctor saying he'll never play again because of Carpal Tunnel. But their last two albums were atrocious. Awful. But they have a history of brilliant music. Sweating Bullets is one of my favorite music videos and songs probably of all time. It's up there for sure. But... They put out two really terrible albums. One so bad, I couldn't even bring myself to bring it on the podcast. I had to change my choice. <laughs> it's, it, but yet, if someone asks me, you know, do you like Megadeth? Well, yeah, I love them. Just don't listen to anything past 2005. You know, go back to the old stuff. There's, there's one band I got that it's, it's not, it didn't even last through 2005. Disturbed. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I was... 10,000 Fists was the moment I realized that they were going to make the same music that they make from now until the end of time. And it was a little disappointing because when you see what The Sickness did to uh, music in general and the scene that was kind of developing around alt-metal, new-metal, and, and they, they kind of propelled it in a brand new d- direction, you get Believe, which was freaking awesome. A perfect follow-up for The Sickness. But then you start getting things, 10,000 fists, indestructible. Had some gems, but you could definitely see they're kind of banking on the laurels. And then Asylum. Oh, man. I, I couldn't t- stay in Asylum. I really couldn't. I had to stop listening to Disturb for a little while after hearing that album. And actually, after that album, they go on hiatus. Like It was that sort of a point where they, I think they kind of realized that they, they were starting to just keep rehashing the same old ideas. They really weren't doing anything anymore that was really representative of the idea of what their music was doing. Could one say you were disturbed by them? Ahahaha, <laughs> pun. But, but, no, not even. But, <laughs> but as fans, we still live in this denial period where 
you probably still listen to their old albums. Oh yes, oh yes. I still pretend that they stopped making making music after Ten Thousand Fists. And this is not to say that these bands are are. I mean, it's all perspective and taste to a point, but. We're not saying that don't listen to these bands, they're not worth listening to, or we abandon them. We're saying quite the opposite. We still love these bands. We just can't recommend their later works. But when you start having to put in year frames of when you're allowed to listen to them if you don't know them yet, you're kind that's of when the issues start arising. That's disclaimers. Disclaimers are, are unfortunate. They're always the sign of, of logic gaps in your argument. Um, and as far as segues go, of course, one would wonder, well, we jumped off from this from TV and the radio. Is that the case with TV and the radio and myself as they were my pick? Um, well, unfortunately, I guess this album has to, has to kind of throw it in that mix. Uh, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't negate the fact that they once did great things. Um, but the fact of the matter is, of course, when you're, when you're dealing with, with an album, and in this particular case, I'm dealing with an album that has almost, as Matt said, like two, I don't know, maybe less than that. I, I, I don't even really feel strongly about the, the, the tracks that I liked on this album so much that I would go back to them. That's a problem. So for a band that I once called my favorite band, that's, that's tough. It, reala- it makes me realize it's more about they put out a great work. Well, this is the case with lots of different artists and even down to uh, episode writers, movie directors, for sure. They've done great things. But when you're dealing with complex projects, as albums are and as, and as f- movies are, for sure, because they involve so, much, uh, so, so many people you have to deal with and so much planning, there's just, you're gonna bound to fall off the map at some point. Not everyone can do everything perfectly all the time. But if you did something perfectly once or even twice, that's still more than than most of the people in this world accomplish in their lifetime. Let's say people at like desk jobs who barely even to see the get to see the product of their own labor. Um, not to impugn those guys, but that's just the nature of art. Art is the kind of thing that you share with the world and people will recognize you for it and they want to know about the artist so much that they idolize the artist, sometimes even more than they should. It really, they're idolizing how someone was able to tap into that moment of brilliance at one particular time. So great albums, great artists, uh, it's all very uh, subjective and it changes from one moment to the next. It's rare that we come across someone who managed to top perfection every moment of their life. And also, speaking to that, on the opposite end, and to give Steve some faith restored, (laughs) me and John have been bashing Weezer for a little while, me a little longer, and yet their newest record was fantastic. We all really liked it. They came back in spades. So there's nothing saying TV and the radio can't do that on the next record, too. Of course. And it's just, it kind of exacerbates the excuse process. The you excuse know. process. I mean, I, I can think of a million reasons as to why. It, maybe their head just wasn't in the right place. And as I said, it's a nature of rose-colored glasses through the lens of their epitaph, which is a very, very strong thing and probably touches you emotionally. In which case, all these things get muddled and connected, much in the same way I said that I associated Desperate Youth with with a sort of dark place, dark times, you know, say, albums that were really great for one particular moment in, in your life, you know? But if, if you immersed yourselves in them eternally, you could, you could probably uh, destroy yourself internally because they are just that impactful. That says nothing negate, to negate the album, but these things have uses. Art has uses. Time and a place is, is, is very important. But I think also this 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 the idea of denying when a band's gone south it kind of lends to how personal music is, which we often talk about. And I think right. you, you 
you treat some of these bands you've listened to your whole life like a close personal friend. That's why betrayal and fandom happens. We talked about that a few weeks back. How fandoms rise up and squash things that betray their interests, finger quotes. I know people who've done this with, with, with several different bands. You've mentioned a couple examples. I know people who've done this with Rush for sure, because Rush was a band that, uh, well, they blew away the prog rock scene as of their time. Um, they've got a lot of albums out there. In which case, you're entering into another territory, not just people who may have phoned it in or, or checked out for one particular work, but people who just age and drift from times in which their best work was successful. Now, what's the reason for that? Is it just to assume that senescence is somehow linked with, uh, <laughs> with imperfect art? I think that's a little silly, but it, it's, it's really just more about... Uh, it's more about cultural impact, I think, at that point. If something has been out for a while, uh, then you no longer associate it as new and bold. But of course, the artist is still thinking in those in that in that in that framework. That's what he initiated. That's what he innovated, and that's what he knows and loves, and he'll continue to do. But as you, as as an artist, and hopping from one thing to the other to the other, you're going to see that and say, ah, "It's 30 years old. You know, give me something else." Actually, I had a kind of that experience when I went to see Bob Dylan live because I grew up. On, I, I don't even have to explain all that sort of classic rock. And I went to go, I went to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, actually. Mm. I was at that ballpark. I was seeing him up on stage. And he, was, he played a couple of his old hits and he played a bunch of new songs. And I really couldn't tell much of a difference. I mean, I, I don't dislike Bob. I won't stop liking his music. But he's just hit a plateau. Mm. He still makes the same stuff he's always made. Now, that's not turning me off. I'm not going, oh, no, only listen to the old stuff. It's more of, oh, you, you can get a taste of it, but the classic songs are called classic for a reason. And that's because I think in some cases there's more of an emotional impact because they might be your first song or they might have some sort of meaning in context. But these will have meaning for you if you listen to them first. I mean, there's reasoning and you're, you're making excuses here, but it's not like you're saying, oh, that's bad, that's good. You're just saying, well... Pick. Pick from the pantheon of what this artist or this band has done. You'll like that because it was when you were born or when you were 10 and first heard it or when you got married or your first kid was born. There's reasoning, but the reasoning becomes just personal preference. I want to make it clear that the point Steve made about Rush getting further from their greatest stuff making creating these disparities sometimes it's not even distance i mean one of my favorite bands in the what is it late 90s i think songs for jane came out but i loved maroon 5 and up until the album we reviewed i still loved them so it, they got more poppy as they went but they were still a really great band and they were great live and then we reviewed their album on the podcast overexposed and i saw them in this whole different light but I kept making excuses for them for the as you know as well, and it kind of for a while turned me off to their old stuff. I've gone back to it, and I still but I still make excuses like, oh, that's Adam Levine's ego, you know, he didn't know what he was doing on that album. The other stuff is still good, but it has nothing to do with length of time. They've only had four or five records, but yeah, in fact, they have a new one that came out this year that we've avoided like the plague. But <laughs> it, it, it's not always time. Sometimes it's just position or style. In that case, I'd almost interpret it as the gap between certain, uh, certain artists' personal projects. So, 
when Songs for Jane came out, here was this pop album, sure, but it was like a smooth jazz rendition of pop, something that was very new. I don't think I'd ever really heard anything about, uh, anything like that at the time, and I was intrigued. I kind of wanted to hear more of that. I feel like this had a long way to go before it was snubbed, and I think a couple of albums he pursued sort of followed that a little bit, but then maybe he said, all right, let's try something else. So then a lot of times you have this with artists where they want to take a certain style that they felt was just a part of what they did, a part of who they were, and then recede that while they dip into another style. Now, for the artist in question, that seems like, oh, great, all right, they like this, let's see if they like this too. But for everyone else, that's like, who is it now? Who am I hearing? Yeah. Like, for instance, the album we reviewed as early as episode four, Overexposed, was like a little bit of everything. Like, he was trying to dip his toes into as many trials as possible. And there suddenly was no, there was no style, there was no form, in which case, the thing that you thought was, this is what people have to grapple with, the thing that you thought was the artist, turns out it wasn't. <clears throat> or at least it turns out that was just a piece of the artist. And you're, you may never get it again, because after that one moment that reached out to so many people and connected with them, it, they lost interest in that. And I actually wrote an article about such a band way back when. This is this is going back to October 2012 when I reviewed The Killer's Battleborn. And it was it's a pretty scathing review. I, I have very negative things to say about this album. And the main reason, the main reason is I feel like they lost a lot of the personality. They, they shifted away exactly as you were saying. They went from... The only thing they kept was their belting lyrics. That's what it boiled down to for me. They didn't have the, the attitude of Hot Fuss or Sam's Town. They didn't have Mr. Brightside. They didn't have When You Were Young. It wasn't, it wasn't that emotional connection or, or presentation they had beforehand. No, it, it became a bunch of belty 80s love stories. And, well, that wasn't the killers. The sad part is, when you see these bands undergoing this this evolution from one sound to the next, which also did happen with me with Weezer, that I just, you want to be able to go up to them and say, stop it. Don't do what you're doing. I loved you here. You're going away from here. You're going in that direction. And you, it, it's almost, you can see it going from A to B. And you don't want B. You want it back at A. Exactly. And there's reasons you want it back at A. Well, yeah, and but to bring us back to the redemption and this denial of an artist and uh, this denial of giving up on an artist, you know, denying the works that you don't like. We have a band who we've talked about on the podcast at length many times, System of a Down, who I was so into in high school. Nah, I was more. <laughs> and they put out record after record of great work. Um, Toxicity is still probably one of my favorite records of all time once I went back to it. But once Mesmerized and Hypnotized came out, like most people, I jumped ship so fast I left a fire trail. I just, I wanted nothing to do with it. It was dull, repetitive, boring, uninspired, 
all the things that you don't go to System of Down for, because they were almost genre-defiant in their sound. They had their own sound that was hard to even describe. Kind of like The Simpsons and how some people jump out the ship in, in different places. Some people really, really love Mesmerize. I, I, I can't c contribute as much, but I know sometimes people swear by Mesmerize. It, 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 it very much depends from person to person, but it, is, it does seem you, like most had the same experience as from the band as a whole. Yeah. And, and, and Hypnotize is almost universally disliked. Sometimes. I, yeah. I, I think I know someone who likes it. But, I don't know. Weirdo. Don't know but then we reviewed Serge Tankin's third or second solo record on the podcast, How You Carry, and I fell back in love with System of Down. I remembered why I loved them, because he dabbled back into those kinds of sounds. So I went back and listened to the old records and, and re-fell in love with it. It was like listening to the band for the first time all over again, and that's a wonderful experience to have. So then you're dealing with another case where, where an artist has sort of pulled away, tried different things, kind of returned to it, you know, someone who's sort of more in tune with maybe what the fans want, or maybe they just naturally found their way back to it. That's the thing with excuses, is that a lot of times, since we can't get into the minds of the artist, a lot of this stuff is left up to chance. With this is why I just thought I, I, I'd, I'd conclude this by, by offering up the antithesis. Because after all, if, if this is the disappointment that we all have to deal with as fans, um, very often, because most bands go through this pattern, even if it does come of old age or the reasons that go with it, then the only alternative is, you know, the old adage, uh, burn, burn quick, burn bright, as, yeah. opposed to, as opposed to slowly dying out, you know, yeah. slowly fanning out the flame. It, it's... That's that's really the only alternative is is a case where someone just gets pulled directly from greatness. A lot of time that results from sudden sudden death, and that's how way this sometimes uh, this may very well connect with uh, with the album that we that we reviewed today because it, it concerned Gerard uh, Gerard Smith and the fact that he really did at, at his height he was an amazing musician and he was just robbed and now all of a sudden you're left to deal with an album that is actually explaining that and and the people who remain and the the whole that exists but a lot of times this happens through natural effects also just bands who break up my case was as tall as lions as tall as lions is a band that i i saw ever increasing talent kind of this is very similar actually to the way people view the beatles as well this is as Tall as Lions is sort of my modern example of, of essentially what the story that everyone knows back with the Beatles is that they were robbed from their absolute height. Here they were defining music with every note that they wrote, and then all of a sudden, eh, let's, let's take a break, guys. Meanwhile, that's the biggest case of blue balls ever imparted on music, period. Well, I had the same reaction with As Tall as Lions. I thought their, their, their uh, debut album, Left Catio, was promising. I thought their self-titled was brilliant and, and the, the most brilliant collection of, of modern rock pop singles that I had ever heard. And then all of a sudden, they reached pure artistic heights with their final 2009 album, You Can't Take It With You. And that was it. They realized that album was a major chore. It took way too much of their time. They had a lots of uh, issues getting the recording process executed. And then finally, they just said, all right, Let's take different directions. It makes no sense to people who, who, who fell in love with, with an artist, any artist, to that same degree. But that's just the way of life. Ah, sometimes examples. that's sometimes that's, I'm, what my point is that sometimes that's that's the best thing that can happen as far as legacy is concerned. Well, I, do you think people like Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison, Jimi Hendrix? Sure, same deal with them. They and never also had Jeff, a chance. Jeff Buckley is another prime example of that. Yeah. I'm not I'm not a huge Kurt fan, but. That's what people say about. These I mean, major it, it, they were they were cut down in their prime. These are guys 
and I think Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison may be two of the greatest artists of the twentieth century. Twentieth uh, century. It's 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 you can't say, well, they died young, they flared bright, but you, you can't say they 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 started going downhill. It's a shame because you can't you don't have the chance to go. Oh, they used to be great because then you still have more music from people like Jim Morrison. Or Freddie, or whoever. Freddie Mercury, yeah. yeah. Freddie one. Mercury, yeah. They continue to time after time put out great music, and then he was taken from us. That's a, he's probably my biggest of those because I still say it's either him without, or Jim. It's it's I say without any irony or doubt in my mind, he's one of the greatest singers to ever live. Period. Freddie Mercury. All right. And I find it I would find it hard for people to completely discount it. Maybe not agree a hundred percent, but everyone agrees he is one of the most phenomenal singers, and it's a shame that we lost him. As I said, there's any number of reasons as to why they were they were uh, robbed from us. Um, the funny thing, though, is 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 that legacy. How does this how does this play with the people who are left to deal with the loss? And that's an interesting thing because for the most part, we say, all right, that kind of enhances their lore. Yep. A little bit. In many ways, the, the very loss itself is the thing, is one of the reasons why we keep going back to the, this, this incessant notion they are the best, they are the best, the greatest of the greatest, because now you have you have story to go along with them. Like any great epic in the history of humanity, this is the kind of thing that, that has, it has verbal power. I mean, just point blank, there was no chance for them to, quote, suck. There was no chance yeah. for them to actually get old. Exactly. So in many and ways, this, the is, Beatles... this is not to pop the bubble that is these bands. It's just... It's exactly that. They never got the chance to actually deal with that senescence, as I described. Just the process of getting old and drifting away. So, lore may be the number one uh, proof against this effect. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. It just The number one anti-argument as far as um, excuses are concerned, that we make this mostly of ourselves rather than the musicians in question. That's probably where we were, I was mostly headed, so I'm glad we got there. Cool. Um, Steve, why don't you take us into our Spam of the Week so spam we can get into our wrap-up of the show. the week. Spam, 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 spam. I wanted to do it this week. Thanks in support of sharing such a good thought. Post is fastidious. That's why I have read. By FIFA 14 Hack Android. That's that way I've read. Noun. That's why I have read. There needs to be another subject there. That's why I have read. <laughs> That's why I have read. That's why he has read. Blank. Oh, but it's implied. That's even better. Is the, there a the period? Spam, the spam is, is can actually now imply things. <clears throat> is there a period at the end of that? No. Oh, so it was actually just an incomplete thought. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, There's grammar no. check. I, I don't mean, get yeah. spam. No. I don't get spam. There's grammar check. That's no, that's, BS. that's the proof against the pudding because it proves there's someone behind it. Someone stupid behind the bots. As long as it's like that, we we do not have to fear AI. Well, not yet, anyway. Yeah. Um, so next week is my pick. Um, as I had mentioned, Nelson won't be joining us until next year. So this is an album that I've been putting off listening to because I am putting myself in the Weezer and TV on the radio boat. This is one of my favorite bands of all time. I think that the lead in this band, nobody deserves to die ever, first of all. But Kurt Cobain's death led to the emergence of one, what I feel is one of the greatest modern musicians alive, and that's Dave Grohl. The lead singer and drummer and guitarist and 
every instrument extraordinary, extraordinary responsible a, for creating the Foo Fighters. That is an existential segue if ever I've heard one. I love the Foo Fighters. I've loved every one of their records, even the ones that were not as good. Their last record was phenomenal. I was blown away by it. It was a return to form, bringing them back to what it was like on Shapes <coughs> and the Colors. Their newest record, Sonic Highways, is especially interesting because it's accompanied by a Dave Grohl-directed HBO series. And the, the, the story of this, this is their eighth studio album. And so they recorded the album, each track in a different city with a different producer. Names like Butch Vig in New York, I believe. He was the New York one. Dave, they traveled, recorded one song at one studio at one city with one producer. That's a unique concept. I've never heard anything like it. And so now not only am I interested to see the HBO series, which we may or may not get into next week, but I'm also really interested to hear this record because I can't think of someone who's done that before. That's, um, it's a gamble. Yeah. Is what it is. I mean, because producers can drastically change the sound of a record. Mm-hmm. The Foo Fighters have evolved and they have changed sounds and played different stuff. They've gone from pop rock to heavy rock. And they've also it may produced... very well be an experiment. Like, can we control our art more than the producer can? Or perhaps, let's see if the producer, the next producer we see, can they work off of the existing work of the previous producers that we lined up as far as album flow goes? Very plus, fascinating. Plus, they've produced like seven, eight albums otherwise as well, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, it, it, it's more yeah, it's more just well, can, and also can they in- do something that we haven't done already? Well, and also what's interesting is that animation. Dave Grohl has been making expenses in directing. He directed the well-known documentary Sound City about the recording studio of the same name, where he partnered up with tons of different artists. The guy knows his music, and he's a great director. So this is an experience as him directing a TV show and trying to compile an album that's really unique for the time that shows the soundscape of modern music. And so that's what we'll get into next week. Um, I'm terrified because I love this band and I would hate to trash it, but we'll see what happens. Um, It's just really exciting to hear a different concept because this is unique and we don't hear a ton of concepts like that. So it's nice to come across them. Spite would almost make me not wish you the best. <laughs> yes, I know, Steve. You're cranky. On that very cranky note, remember... Music is life. And life is good. That was a little scary.